Section 18 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. William went to work his own way, and some of them pretended to find fault at first. However, he proceeded and searched every part of the leg where he suspected the mortification had touched it. In a word, he cut off a great deal of mortified flesh, in all which the poor fellow felt no pain. William proceeded till he brought the vessels which he had cut to bleed, and the man to cry out. Then he reduced the splinters of the bone, and calling for help, set it, as we call it, and bound it up, and laid the man to rest, who found himself much easier than before. At the first opening, the surgeons began to triumph. The mortification seemed to spread, and a long red streak of blood appeared from the wound upwards to the middle of the man's thigh, and the surgeons told me the man would die in a few hours. I went to look at it, and found William himself under some surprise. But when I asked him how long he thought the poor fellow could live, he looked gravely at me, and said, As long as thou canst. I am not at all apprehensive of his life, said he, but I would cure him, if I could, without making a cripple of him. I found he was not just then upon the operation as to his leg, but was mixing up something to give the poor creature, to repel, as I thought, the spreading contagion, and to abate or prevent any feverish temper that might happen in the blood. After which he went to work again, and opened the leg in two places above the wound, cutting out a great deal of mortified flesh, which, it seems, was occasioned by the bandage, which had pressed the parts too much. And withal, the blood being, at the time, in a more than common disposition to mortify, might assist to spread it. Well, our friend William conquered all this, cleared the spreading mortification, and the red streak went off again. The flesh began to heal, and matter to run, and in a few days the man's spirits began to recover. His pulse beat regular, he had no fever, and gathered strength daily, and, in a word, he was a perfect sound man in about ten weeks, and we kept him amongst us, and made him an able seaman. But to return to the ship, we never could come at a certain information about it, till some of the negroes, which we kept on board, and whom we taught to speak English, gave the account of it afterwards, and this maimed man in particular. We inquired, by all the signs and motions we could imagine, what was become of the people, and yet we could get nothing from them. Our lieutenant was for torturing some of them to make them confess, but William opposed that vehemently and when he heard it was under consideration, he came to me. Friend, says he, I make a request to thee, not to put any of these poor wretches to torment. Why, William, said I, why not? 
you see they will not give any account of what is become of the white men. Nay, says William, do not say so. I suppose they have given thee a full account of every particular of it. How so, says I? Pray, what are we the wiser for all their jabbering? Nay, says William, that may be thy fault, for aught I know. Thou wilt not punish the poor men, because they cannot speak English, and perhaps they never heard a word of English before. Now, I may very well suppose that they have given thee a large account of everything, for thou seest with what earnestness, and how long, some of them have talked to thee. And if thou canst not understand their language, nor they thine, how can they help that? At the best, thou dost but suppose that they have not told thee the whole truth of the story. And on the contrary, I suppose they have. And how wilt thou decide the question, whether thou art right or whether I am right? Besides, what can they say to thee when thou ask them a question upon the torture, and at the same time they do not understand the question, and thou dost not know whether they say I or no. It is no compliment to my moderation to say I was convinced by these reasons, and yet we had all much ado to keep our second lieutenant from murdering some of them to make them tell. What if they had told he did not understand one word of it, but he would not be persuaded, but that the negroes must needs understand him, when he asked them whether the ship had any boat, or no, like ours, and what was become of it. But there was no remedy but to wait till we made these people understand English, and to adjourn the story till that time. The case was thus where they were taken on board the ship, that we could never understand, because they never knew the English names which we give to those coasts, or what nation they were who belonged to the ship, because they knew not one tongue from another. But thus far the negro I examined, who was the same whose leg William had cured, told us, that they did not speak the same language as we spoke, nor the same our Portuguese spoke, so that in all probability they must be French or Dutch. Then he told us that the white men used them barbarously, that they beat them unmercifully, that one of the negro men had a wife and two negro children, one a daughter about sixteen years old that a white man abused the negro man's wife, and afterwards his daughter, which, as he said, made all the negro men mad, and that the woman's husband was in a great rage, at which the white man was so provoked that he threatened to kill him. But in the night the negro man, being loose, got a great club, by which he made us understand he meant a handspike, and that when the same Frenchman, if it was a Frenchman, came among them again, 
he began again to abuse the negro man's wife, at which the negro, taking up the handspike, knocked his brains out at one blow, and then, taking the key from him, with which he usually unlocked the handcuffs, which the negroes were fettered with, he set about a hundred of them at liberty, who, getting up upon the deck by the same scuttle that the white men came down, and taking the man's cutlass who was killed, and laying hold of what came next them, they fell upon the men that were upon the deck, and killed them all, and afterwards those they found upon the fossil, that the captain and his other men, who were in the cabin and the round house, defended themselves with great courage, and shot out at the loopholes at them, by which he and several other men were wounded, and some killed. But they broke into the roundhouse, after a long dispute, where they killed two of the white men, but owned that the two white men killed eleven of their men before they could break in, and then the rest, having got down the scuttle into the great cabin, wounded three more of them. That after this, the gunner of the ship, having secured himself in the gun-room, one of his men hauled up the long-boat close under the stern, and putting into her all the arms and ammunition that they could come at, got all into the boat, and afterwards took in the captain, and those that were with him, out of the great cabin. When they were all thus embarked, they resolved to lay the ship aboard again, and try to recover it, that they boarded the ship in a desperate manner, and killed at first all that stood in their way, but the negroes being by this time all loose, and having gotten some arms, though they understood nothing of powder and bullet or guns, yet the men could never master them. However, they lay under the ship's bow, and got out all the men, they had left in the cook-room, who had maintained themselves there, notwithstanding all the negroes could do, and with their small arms killed between thirty and forty of the negroes, but were at last forced to leave them. They could give me no account whereabouts this was, whether near the coast of Africa, or far off, or how long it was before the ship fell into our hands. Only, in general, it was a great while ago, as they called it, and, by all we could learn, it was within two or three days after they had set sail from the coast. They told us that they had killed about thirty of the white men, having knocked them on the head with crows and handspikes, and such things as they could get and one strong negro killed three of them with an iron crow, after he was shot twice through the body, and that he was afterwards shot through the head by the captain himself at the door of the roundhouse, which he had split open with the crow, and this we supposed was the occasion of the great quantity of blood which we saw at the roundhouse door. The same negro told us that they threw all the powder 
and shot they could find into the sea, and they would have thrown the great guns into the sea if they could have lifted them. Being asked how they came to have their sails in such a condition, his answer was, They no understand. They no know what the sails do. That was, they did not so much as know that it was the sails that made the ship go, or understand what they meant, or what to do with them. When we asked him whither they were going, he said, they did not know, but believed they should go home to their own country again. I asked him, in particular, what he thought we were when we first came up with them. He said they were terribly frighted, believing we were the same white men that had gone away in their boats, and were come again in a great ship, with the two boats with them, and expected they would kill them all. This was the account we got out of them, after we had taught them to speak English, and to understand the names and use of the things belonging to the ship which they had occasion to speak of, and we observed that the fellows were too innocent to dissemble in their relation, and that they all agreed in the particulars, and were always in the same story, which confirmed very much the truth of what they said. Having taken the ship, our next difficulty was what to do with the negroes. The Portuguese and the Brazils would have bought them all of us, and been glad of the purchase, if we had not showed ourselves enemies there, and been known for pirates. But, as it was, we durst not go ashore anywhere thereabouts, or treat with any of the planters, because we should raise the whole country upon us, and if there were any such things as men of war in any of their ports, we should be sure to be attacked by them, and by all the force they had by land or sea. Nor could we think of any better success if we went northward to our own plantations. One while we determined to carry them all the way to Buenos Aires, and sell them there to the Spaniards, but they were really too many for them to make use of and to carry them round to the South Seas, which was the only remedy that was left, was so far that we should be no way able to subsist them for so long a voyage. At last, our old, never-failing friend William helped us out again, as he had often done at a dead lift. His proposal was this, that we should go as master of the ship, and about twenty men, much as we could best trust, and attempt to trade privately upon the coast of Brazil with the planters, not at the principal ports, because they would not be admitted. We all agreed to this, and appointed to go away ourselves towards the Rio de la Plata where we had thought of going before, and to wait for him, not there, but at 
Port St. Pedro, as the Spaniards called it, lying at the mouth of the river, which they call Rio Grande, and where the Spaniards had a small fort and a few people, but we believe there was nobody in it. Here we took up our station, cruising off and on, to see if we could meet any ships going to, or coming from, the Buenos Aires, or the Rio de la Plata. But we met with nothing worth notice. However, we employed ourselves in things necessary for our going off to sea, for we filled all our water casks, and got some fish for our present use, to spare as much as possible our ship's stores. William, in the meantime, went away to the north, and made the land about the Cape de St. Thomas, and betwixt that and the Ile de Tuberon, he found means to trade with the planters for all his negroes, as well the women as the men, and at a very good price, too. For William, who spoke Portuguese pretty well, told them a fair story enough, that the ship was in scarcity of provisions, that they were driven a great way out of their way, and, indeed, as we say, out of their knowledge, and that they must go up to the northward as far as Jamaica, or sell there upon the coast. This was a very plausible tale, and was easily believed, and if you observe the manner of the negroes sailing, and what happened in their voyage, was every word of it true. By this method, and being true to one another, William passed for what he was, I mean, for a very honest fellow, and by the assistance of one planter, who sent to some of his neighbor planters, and managed the trade among themselves, he got a quick market, for in less than five weeks William sold all his negroes, and at last sold the ship itself, and shipped himself and his twenty men, with two negro boys whom he had left, in a sloop, one of those which the planters used to send on board for the negroes. With this sloop, Captain William, as we then called him, came away, and found us at Port St. Pedro, in the latitude of thirty-two degrees, thirty minutes south. Nothing was more surprising to us than to see a sloop come along the coast, carrying Portuguese colors, and come in directly to us, after we were assured he had discovered both our ships. We fired a gun upon her nearer approach to bring her to an anchor, but immediately she fired five guns by way of salute, and spread her English ancient. And then we began to guess it was friend William, but wondered what was the meaning of his being in a sloop, whereas we sent him away in a ship of near three hundred tons. But he soon let us into the whole history of his management, 
with which we had a great deal of reason to be very well satisfied. As soon as he had brought the sloop to an anchor, he came aboard of my ship, and there he gave us an account of how he began to trade by the help of a Portuguese planter, who lived near the seaside, how he went on shore, and went up to the first house he could see, and asked the man of the house to sell him some hogs, pretending, at first, he only stood in upon the coast to take in fresh water, and buy some provisions, and the man not only sold him seven fat hogs, but invited him in, and gave him, and five men he had with him, a very good dinner, and he invited the planter on board his ship, and in return for his kindness, gave him a negro girl for his wife. This so obliged the planter, that the next morning he sent him on board, in a great luggage boat, a cow and two sheep, with a chest of sweet meats, and some sugar, and a great bag of tobacco, and invited Captain William on shore again, that, after this, they grew from one kindness to another, that they began to talk about trading for some negroes, and William, pretending it was to do him service, consented to sell him thirty negroes for his private use in his plantation, for which he gave William ready money, in gold, at the rate of five and thirty moidores per head. But the planter was obliged to use great caution in bringing them on shore, for which purpose he made William weigh and stand out to sea, and put in again about fifty miles farther north, where at a little creek he took the negroes on shore at another plantation, being a friend's of his, whom, it seems, he could trust. This remove brought William into a further intimacy, not only with the first planter, but also with his friends, who desired to have some of the negroes also, so that from one to another they bought so many till one overgrown planter took one hundred negroes, which was all William had left, and sharing them with another planter, that other planter chaffered with William for ship and all, giving him in exchange a very clean, large, well-built sloop of near sixty tons, very well furnished, carrying six guns, but we made her afterwards carry twelve guns. William had three hundred moidores of gold, besides the sloop, in payment for the ship, and with this money he stored the sloop as full as she could hold, with provisions, especially bread, some pork, and about sixty hogs, alive. Among the rest, William got eighty barrels of good gunpowder, which was very much for our purpose, and all the provisions which were in the French ship he took out also. This was a very agreeable account to us, 
especially when we saw that William had received, in gold coined, or by weight, and some Spanish silver, sixty thousand pieces of eight, besides a new sloop, and a vast quantity of provisions. We were very glad of the sloop in particular, and began to consult what we should do, whether we had not best turn off our great Portuguese ship, and stick to our first ship and the sloop, seeing we had scarce men enough for all three, and that the biggest ship was thought too big for our business. However, another dispute, which was now decided, brought the first to a conclusion. The first dispute was, whither we should go. My comrade, as I called him now, that is to say, he that was my captain before we took this Portuguese man-of-war, was for going to the south seas and coasting up the west side of America, where we could not fail of making several good prizes upon the Spaniards, and that then, if occasion required it, we might come home by the south seas to the east Indies, and so go round the globe as others had done before us. But my head lay another way. I had been in the East Indies, and had entertained a notion ever since that, if we went thither, we could not fail of making good work of it, and that we might have a safe retreat and good beef to victual our ship among my old friends, the natives of Zanzibar, on the coast of Mozambique, or the island of St. Lawrence. I say, my thoughts lay this way, and I read so many lectures to them, all of the advantages they would certainly make of their strength, by the prizes they would take in the Gulf of Mocha, or the Red Sea, and on the coast of Malabar, or the Bay of Bengal, that I amazed them. With these arguments I prevailed on them, and we all resolved to steer away south-east for the Cape of Good Hope, and in consequence of this resolution we concluded to keep the sloop and sail with all three, not doubting, as I assured them, but we should find men there to make up the number wanting, and if not, we might cast any of them off when we pleased. We could do no less than make our friend William captain of the sloop, which, with such good management, he had brought us, and should be entirely under our command. However, William was not so easy as before, and indeed, as we afterwards wanted the sloop to cruise for purchase, and a right thorough-paced pirate in her, so I was in such pain for William that I could not be without him, for he was my privy counsellor and companion upon all occasions. So, I put a Scotsman 
a bold, enterprising, gallant fellow, into her, named Gordon, and made her carry twelve guns and four petiraros, though indeed we wanted men, for we were none of us manned in proportion to our force. End of section fourteen of Captain Singleton read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.